And now another episode of Mind Escape with Michael and Maurice. Take it away, Michael. In Maurice's Mind Escape, we have episode number 94 today, Psychedelics Today with uh, Joe Moore. Um, you can check out uh, Joe Moore on his podcast, Psychedelics Today. We have the link below for their YouTube channel, and I'll add the link to their website as well. Um, you can check us out at patreon.com slash Mike and Maurice for $2 a month. You'll get exclusive, uh, content videos and audio. Uh, we have an interview about five MEO DMT with Tom Lane. Um, and check out our website, Mike and Maurice mind escape.com. Uh, but, uh, yeah, let's get into this. What's going on, Joe. How are you? Thanks for coming on. I am doing great. How are you? Good. Doing good. Um, Thank you. Uh, we had a, we had a little bit of technical difficulties there, but uh, we're back in action here. And uh, so where we left off, well, I, I want to talk about actually for a second uh, and mention what you guys are doing. Like we were talking about before, we realized that there was technical issues. Uh, you were we were talking about your your podcast, Psychedelics Today. We were also talking about your uh, website and all the resources you have on there. Um, and how you train, you know, doctors and, um, uh, mental health, you know, cons- or mental health, you know, uh, people on, you know, how to use, uh, these things and integrate them into, uh, therapy and such. So why don't you talk a little bit more about that? Right. Um, so I guess first and foremost, like we have decades of data on psychedelics being used well for mental health interventions, um, from addiction to PTSD to all sorts of other things, perhaps, um, something even like stuttering or, um, autoimmune disorder. So great data in the backlog. We're having to redo a lot of the science right now, which is a little obnoxious, but Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's still great to see that we're getting, you know, better and better, more and more data about how to integrate psychedelics into Um, healthcare and into other things. So I've been studying this stuff since 2001. And what we do is a podcast and offer online education, in-person workshops, retreats. Um, I even had the opportunity to do some one-on-one legal mushroom facilitation in Jamaica this Mm -hmm. past July, which was pretty awesome. Um, yeah, so we do a lot of online education. We have therapists and doctors and folks from all walks of life joining us. Um, in this last class, we've got people from Israel, uh, France, Spain, Ireland, Australia, Canada, and the U.S. Like learning from us, and it's really cool. So, it's um, yeah, the contact the concept is like psychedelics and theory and practice, and how might you apply your education to psychedelia uh well to your practice of healing folks so it's pretty it's pretty awesome we're on the cutting edge um our lens is from the work of dr stanislav Grof, which is kind of like a post jungian post freudian depth psychology approach which i really appreciate um but yeah that's kind of long and short of what we do um and there's going to be more and more coming down the pipes some free on beautiful too yeah so when you guys train these doctors and therapists and stuff, do you actually train them or do you consult people in to talk to them or how does that work? So, um, 
my business partner Kyle and I developed a really extensive online course. We work people through that. We actually assist them on live calls, um, uh, kind of on a weekly basis, mm -hmm. and make sure they understand all the content they went through. And we can have some more in-depth conversations about this stuff. And we have actually started to um, hire people with experience to deliver master classes for us. So we kind of record those and add them into the curriculum. And um, what we're going to start doing actually is hiring these folks to come in and co-teach along with us. So that's I think sweet. that's going to be really cool too. So this particular class we're teaching right now, I think we have three people who actively are doing this work that are going to come and join us. So that's going to be really neat too. Everything from cannabis to MDMA to ketamine to whatever else. Nice. Yeah, yeah. The, the um you don't really think about cannabis uh as a psychedelic too much, but obviously edibles can get pretty wild and recently I stopped smoking cuz I had been one of these vape carters, you know, like uh and then I obviously I was getting legit ones and it was all good, but um I just stopped doing it just in case, you know, but going back to smoking it once in a while um it's kind of a different ball game, right? Like it's uh, when you don't do it on a regular basis. When I was younger, I used to do it, you know, every day when I was in my twenties and stuff. But now, uh -huh. now I don't, you know, do it as much. And so when I do do it, there is this crazy, you know, psychedelic things that, you know, or that feeling that almost that coming up feeling it's, it's when you get really high uh, from cannabis, it's almost like a similar feeling to coming up on psilocybin in a way that like, um, especially I don't know, the edibles. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it, but it's that like, I'm, <gasps> this is going to go somewhere and it never actually does is where psilocybin would take you to that place. But, um, you do kind of have that same come up feeling. Do you, are you familiar with, um, this guy, Daniel McQueen in Boulder, Colorado doing medicinal mindfulness? No, he's been running, psychedelic cannabis sessions for a long time um and a lot of people go like i've we've sent a lot of people there and pretty much invariably they say it's one of the most intense psychedelic experiences that they've had and the concept is you blend a bunch of different kinds of cannabis together and smoke a bunch and then lay down with live music without your eyes closed mm -hmm. and some that's what i'm talking about spot on with dmt like a DMT like experience. You so, eat it at all, or is it all pure smoke? It's all smoked in this context. Edible mm -hmm. is really interesting, but it it's so much longer. I think his yeah. situation, he's able to fit that into an hour to two hour situation. Well, that'd be a per yeah, that's a perfect uh, dilation. Well, yeah, and, right. Like, and that can't really do good therapeutic work um, in ten minutes, like in DMT mm -hmm. or salvia, smoked. But oral salvia or like smoked cannabis, like that's a long enough period of time where you can. Huh? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's the uh, the interesting thing about cannabis too is, you know, obviously you smoke it and there's extracts and all that great stuff. But when you eat it, it's a completely different compound, you know, the way you process yeah. it through your liver um, and the effects that it has, uh, you know, <laughs> I know, you know, Joe Rogan talks about it all the time, but it it is a completely different animal. And I think that's what you see when you see some of these people 
that you know these tourists or whatever and you see these crazy news stories it's just like fear-mongering number one but number two you have these people that have no experience with any of this stuff taking way too much too much uh of a dosage of edibles and then they have this like crazy experience that they weren't ready for so i live in a town um breckenridge colorado we had one of the first 10 or 10 or 15 recreational right, right. in the state yeah i remember and, that it was featured on a show, High Profits, on CNN. Yeah, yep, really I watched that. Oh, that well, cool. we'll talk offline about that. I've got some things <laughs> to tell you. <laughs> but, um, oh, I'm sure. So we have a crazy amount of tourists coming through this place. And often it's these, like, you know, Yankee, bulky, rode out Yankees fans coming over. And, like, saying, you know, I can, I can eat 50 milligrams, no problem. I eat my boys' cookies all the time. Oh, and yeah. it's like, no, Here you don't go. know what your dose is when it's outside of a factory, like, controlled environment. And these guys are eating, like, huge amounts. And we started to get a tremendous amount of ambulance pickups. People yeah. thought they were dying. Yep. Like, number one, can't hurt you. Can only hurt you, like, if Absolutely. you have to go to the hospital and have to pay, like, a $2,000 bill or something. For no yeah. good reason. Right? Didn't they come up with some overdose dosage at some like I, i've heard it, it's it's a lot it's like a ton well, that's or, true. i think you die from asphyxiation no but it, it's like it, yeah smoke. but it's like a ton of uh hashish or something it's something crazy that you would have to like eat oh right 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 so the ld50 like yeah. that's what you'd look up so lethal dose 50 50 percent of tested mice die at this dosage hmm. and it's outrageous it's like pounds yeah, yeah. it's insane and you know you're not going to be able to do that um and one of my <laughs> a guy that was on high profits that show he's a buddy of mine he said like once i tried to od on on weed i just slept for 19 hours and it was fine yeah. <laughs> yeah, i think he ate 1800 milligrams of edibles or something wow like just you know how how do you afford that right first well we were watching this guy on this channel it's like m-e-l-k and this dude was taking those syringes this guy took an insane amount i don't know if it's real or not but i mean he was he was very high it was just some ungodly yeah. amount but i know people like my one friend says he can't even get high from edibles he's ate five cookies and never nothing these things these cookies are probably 60 to 80 milligrams and nothing happened to him so i don't know right at a certain point it's not worth it um <laughs> like the trick is to just take a break and you know there's a whole enzymatic process that goes like the the edible has to go through your liver or something before it becomes bioavailable, mm -hmm. which is why it takes uh -huh. so long. Like I I eat edibles nightly to go to sleep, right? Um, and it helps a ton. Yeah, um, yeah, I know so. people. A lot of people that do that. <laughs> My doctor got mad at me when I told him I did that. <laughs> I'm sure, he put me down. What, like, what a quack! Abuse check. Yeah, like, great. Fuck off, man. Sorry. Here, 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 substance <laughs> abuse. Now take these Xanax yeah, and uh, yeah. here, here's a. Um, yeah. Like, so, there's only two really dangerous drugs for withdrawals, and it's alcohol and benzodiazepines like Xanax. Right. And they prescribe that shit like crazy. Yeah. Right. And actually, it's, we've, it's, we've, it's, it's a wild world, my friend. We've had a more more than a few friends, you know, that I, you know, I've had more than a few friends that have had substance, you know, issues that it seems like the benzos go hand in hand with the opiates you know for whatever reason people usually that are abusing abuse both of those i don't know why but at least from my personal experience with people i know um do you think that 
this psychedelic movement or this renaissance is going to have an effect on this opioid crisis like they think it will or do you think that that's overblown or what do you think about that i think it'll make a dent yeah for sure so are you all familiar with ibogaine yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right so we've talked about iboga before um with another guest uh but not specifically the compound that is ibogaine that they what do they extract it similar to like dmt you know Right. I think iboga, the plant, is good for like religious use. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think there's an actual need. Like, I don't think there's actual data to suggest you need iboga as an addict to help with rehab. Um, like addiction is a really interesting topic. It's it's such a big topic that I, I'll I'll try to take a stab, but it's not going to be a complete picture, right? Yeah, so fine. like, you know, we get we get addicted to things. It could be anything, right? It could be could be porn it could be pills it could be buying cars it could be like collecting kittens or you right. know uh, yeah, Gabriel yeah. mate who's a top addiction psychedelic guy out of um vancouver canada was addicted to buying classical music on mm. cd and he was hiding it from his wife and almost <laughs> caused a divorce so like that was his thing you know and uh Weird. carl jung made this had this line a long time ago about like um alcoholism and i think it was called diphthomania so the only cure for diphthomania is religiomania that was his line so like you got to swap in one thing for another thing right yeah for sure aa kind of brings you to that like it it allows you to swap in some other stuff sometimes though aa is kind of not got the best track record of performance but it's kind of the only known thing Mm -hmm. but yeah back to iboga ibogaine like i think that in particular is really cool because it helps you not have to go through that detox phase that's really ugly. It looks like a really bad flu is what the opiate detox looks like. As far as I know, you can't die from an opiate detox, you know, unless your body's like super compromised. Yeah, isn't anyway. that one of the myths too that, that, that people latch onto that, oh, if you stop taking that, you're going to die or, you know, something along those lines. Right. Like there needs to be some truth out there. Like the, again, the only things you can die from a detox of, as far as I know, is benzodiazepines like Xanax and Valium and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, like some heroin users and pill users often get their body into a really compromised spot where their heart's really weak and their just system's really weak. So, you know, maybe, but you know, perhaps you would have died if you caught a cold anyway, but you know, that's something to watch for. So, you know, it's, it's important to get, appropriate addiction treatment but this stuff interrupts the um the opiate detox thing so you don't have to go through that and a lot of people that have gone through this treatment are able to stop right away and never have to go back to get opiate treatment Hmm. um, which is really interesting that's Uh, awesome sounds like a winner yeah that said this is only like a one one two time treatment deal but a lot of people relapse and the reason for relapse is really complicated too. It could be anything from like, you know, you go back to your old neighborhood where there's a lot of your old friends that you use drugs with that these opiates with. And Mm -hmm. it's just so easy. Like, you know, you lose your job and you're bummed out and you go buy some more pills or heroin or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of people say you have to like relocate for perhaps a couple years to really get solid. Um, so you do hard gain relocate thousand miles away yeah it's weird because when we were in high school and stuff you know 
when we, you know, we talked about this before, before we had the technical difficulties, but, um, you know, we got into the whole psychedelic thing through literature, like electric Kool-Aid acid test and on the road and, um, you know, uh, fear and loathing and that kind of stuff. But we also had an outlook when we were younger, which it seemed like nobody was doing opiates or heroin. And if they did, it was a super rare thing, at least from where we come from outside of Detroit. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case for everywhere, but it just seemed like back then there was almost like a stigma behind it. Like, oh, you don't want to do that. That's that's the one thing you don't want to do, you know, and, and drugs for the for the for the bigger part, too. You know, psychedelics were still looked upon down upon and or something that was like uh, counterculture ish or uh, a cult, something along those lines. Um, but back then it seemed like heroin was this, so and so tried heroin. You know, it was this like crazy thing that no. But now it's like we have lost some friends. We have had other friends go through rehab. Another buddy that's been on our shows uh, gone through opiate addiction and now he's a counselor himself, um, helping people get clean and stuff. So, um, yeah, you see these high schools with opioid crisis, yeah. heroin problems around us. It, it just, it seemed like th- there was this, this idea that if you did heroin, meth, crack, you know, any of those, what would be considered detrimental or like garbage drugs really, um, there was like a stigma behind it and you had movies like basketball diaries and that were portraying it as this like crazy, horrible thing. And it seems like now there's this culture of which it's the opposite. It's like, Oh, that's okay. If you're like that, we'll help you. What, what do you think? Do you think that that's, that's more appropriate? Yeah. So, but my question is it's also led to a bigger problem, which there's other roots of that problem, which is, you know, whatever you want to say, um, the whole, uh, you know, suburban type kid that gets hooked on prescriptions and then, you know, it evolves to this worst thing or um, somebody that, you know, isn't that much pain psychologically that they need to do that to themselves, whatever you want to say. How do you think we get out of that where it's, we can be open to these ideas, but also still get back to, well, these aren't the things that you want to abuse. And there are things that you can take to have, these experiences, you know, to uplift you like psychedelics and, and that kind of stuff. I just think we need more drug education. Well, first, I guess we need to get rid of the DEA and we need to understand this drug scheduling situation. Like the U.S. drug scheduling thing should just go in the garbage. But what we need is really good, drug education. <laughs> really good drug education. Um, like the, the reason people are using heroin in these numbers is because they, they get hooked on pills for a bunch of different reasons. Like, you know, maybe they broke their leg and the pain never went away and now they need the pills to go to sleep and they don't really understand how addiction works, which, you know, why would you unless right. you really were a student and stuff? And um, heroin's cheaper. Heroin's like probably $5 or less a go. And then pills can get up to like 15 to $50 a go. Mm-hmm. So like people switch to heroin cause they're broke. Right. Um, perhaps a lot of people should shift over to heroin earlier and save themselves some money. I don't know, but are you, are you familiar with what happened with drug policy and treatment in Switzerland and Portugal around heroin? Well, I know in Portugal they legalized everything, right? And they've had decrim, decrim, and, and they've, they've, uh, reduced numbers drastically from what I understand. Um, 
but where else did you say that that was happening? Switzerland. Oh, so okay. Switzerland is the heroin success capital. So they had a way worse heroin. Portugal and Switzerland had it way worse than we have it right now regarding heroin and opiates. Uh, way worse. We think it's really bad right now. Way worse there. So heroin has become free, prescribable um, in Switzerland. Free and prescribable. And you go to a facility and get a supervised injection by a nurse. And no one dies from an overdose anymore in Switzerland. Like there's maybe a couple overdoses per year in switzerland um interesting and hey. we have a shit ton here so yeah. like what what happens when you do it in a medical supervised setting is people are able to hold down jobs they're able to keep a family life together like sometimes people go through their whole career as a you know engineer or factory worker and their family doesn't even know they were, they've been addicted to heroin for 10 years mm. um top addiction researcher out of Columbia, um, Columbia University in New York, uh, Dr. Carl Hart uh, presented at the Horizon Psychedelic Conference recently stating that most people that become addicted to a drug come off the drug on their own, in their own time. Like treatment doesn't really seem to even be the thing that helps them, but compassionate care and appropriate medical care could really be the thing that matters and ending the drug war. Sure. Like Carl Hart at this conference, he so Dr. Carl Hart is a you know really prestigious addiction researcher, and he's he's actually at Columbia in a university setting, fed crack to a lot of people in the context of research, and wow. and he's got a lot of insight, like thousands of times. So he's got tons of insight in this. His his at his presentation at the psychedelic conference, he was essentially going guns a-blazing at the psychedelic world to say, you guys aren't exceptional. Like, yes, psychedelics can be really helpful, but you need to understand that this drug war thing is bigger than just you guys that want to eat, drink ayahuasca or eat mushrooms or something. Mm -hmm. So he shows PCP, which is a psychedelic used by black folks a lot, you know, it, out of the total population of PCP users. And I know Hamilton Morris is kind of... Did you watch that episode? Defended PCP and PCP derivatives and, and different things, too. Um, as it's not... Yeah, there's one, I forget the guy's name. He was an old dude. He passed away. He was he was on Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. I forget the guy's name. But he, he had, was in the Process Church, which is a wild church. Yeah, so almost a suicide cult. And he talks about this other thing that we've we actually talked about it on the last episode, which is the Urantia Papers, which is like this channeled uh, religious text that's actually kind of crazy to read if you read it, though the syntax and everything. But yeah, that guy was super um, interesting though to listen to talk and. He mentioned that, or Hamilton Morris points out that that's like the only guy he knows of that's had like a real positive experience from from taking PCP. Right, but a lot of people like it. Like Stefo loved it from Jackass. <laughs> yeah, like and um, let himself on fire. Yeah, right. That was a that was a really interesting episode of Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. But anyway, yeah. uh, Doctor Carl Hart showed a. Uh, person walking away from police cars a black guy walking away from police cars walking and he got shot in the back 15 times by these cops and the reason was he was on pcp Jeez. that's what the cops said and the cops got away with it so he 
Carl Hart was able to show these like 2000 psychedelic advocates and researchers, you know, how extremely messed up the drug war is. So I think like, yes, we can impact this addiction thing, but the addiction thing needs to be addressed by really sorting out this drug war scenario. Um, and then we can have a real impact spending money on treatment and positive programs. It seems like it's trending that way. I feel like, whatever the topic is these days people aren't patient um and when i say that i'm not saying that things shouldn't change now if they can whatever but it's just that things take time to work through the systems that are in place culture is slow and 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 we're in this mindset where it's got to be it's got to change 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 and that's you know the only you know like the old adage goes the only constant is change however the rate of what people want this change is you have to realize that there's people that grew up in a whole different, you know, people in their 40s, 50s, 60s. You have to acclimate those people into this new, you know, if those people weren't following the dead or part of the hippie movement or whatever, they're probably more likely to reject some of those ideas. So you need to be kind of clever about the way you present these things. Talk about the science. Talk about, you know, breaking down the... Um, the stigmas and all the different stuff. And I think that we get stuck in this, this idea that, Oh, if I, if this person doesn't think like me right now, then they don't know what they're talking about. And I think that we just need to be more introspective, um, about what's going on and and how it's going to get there. If you look at, if you told me, um, 10 years ago that weed was going to be legal in, you know, two places I've lived, Chicago and Detroit, I would have told you you're absolutely insane. But here we are <laughs> and it's happening right. and there's a whole movement going here we on. Come. So, and you see that now, you see what what happened with marijuana or cannabis happening with psychedelic mushrooms and ayahuasca and, and you know, on the West Coast, it's slowly filtering out. You've got, you see Denver and, and in Canada, you know, Vancouver and these different places. Um, so, so you know this line like change happens like one death at a time. Yeah. Like we've got to get these old fogies, you know, to accelerate their uh, death process in in Congress and and the universities. Right. And new blood comes in and then change happens at the university level and at the government level. Like if you want to compare like uh you know, Mitch McConnell with like I don't even know her name, AOC. Like, this is what young people look like who are a little bit more progressive or substantial. If you want to even call her progressive, I don't I don't want to really go into politics too much. Yeah, but we, like, we, we the old refuse people. to talk whoa, about whoa, politics. Whoa, whoa. We don't talk about politics on this show. Bro. <laughs> the no, old but- people are, like, holding us back, and the new people will yeah. probably hold us back less. Like, Here's the thing. We are all going to be old one day, and the ideas that we have that we hold – I don't really know that many older people that don't have some of that older person thing that happens. It's something that happens to every single one of us, you know, like in ancient traditions, there's some people that would just, you know, if you're old, they send you off and you just go on a a walkabout and never come back and you just die in the woods or you die in the desert or whatever the case may be. Um, because you've used up your usefulness to whatever, you know, civilization or society. Um, and I feel like that's what people want, but at the same time, if we're going to, I think we have to get some of these people on board if we want to get to the point where people are living to be 110, 120, 130, whatever the case True. may be. You know what I'm saying? True. Like you, you got to yep. keep pushing that that fringe a little bit further. And it's happening though, right? Like yeah. This so, veterans art, this vetic, veterans angle is super easy with the older folks right. that are veterans themselves. Maybe they fought in Korea or something or Vietnam and they're like, 
yeah, 90% of the people I went to Vietnam with are screwed up and maybe this therapy would have helped them a lot. Like the MDMA for PTSD stuff, you know? Well, look at, uh, Tom Lane and not to call him out, but he's, you know, he's a little bit older of a dude and this dude is one of, uh, the biggest advocates for the stuff, you know? So I have to look him up real quick. I've, I've talked to him a bunch. Yeah. He, uh, he's, uh, you know, he was able to take part of, so oh, that Ser- guy. Yeah, he was, he's yeah, able we had to- him on the show not long ago. Yeah, we've had him on uh, a few times. He's always an interesting conversation, but he, um, I believe he was in the military, if I recall right, but uh, he never had any issues from that, from our discussions that he's mentioned. But he was he's old enough to have partaken in ceremonies with Maria Sabina and some of the uh, Mesoamerican, you know, shamans and, and uh Curren, 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 Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I always lose that one on the tongue. But, um, but so you do have some of these older people, and there is older academics, you know, that within the uh, psychedelic community and in, in different things. But I how do, do we get them to be installed at top positions at Harvard, Yale, NYU, right. etc.? Well, those that's are going to take time. That's I think that's when you start talking about academia, I think there's a whole different agenda there. And I think that um, even if you look at fringe research of any kind, whether it be psychedelics or um, metaphysical type things, you know, like those things are Can you always get weird for a second. Yeah, let's get weird. All right. So um, <laughs> you're familiar with this line like empire never ended, like Philip K. Dick kind of stuff, like the Roman Empire is still the same thing. Like yeah. the Egyptian tradition, so like that's still what's going on right now. Right. Um, I feel like, uh, yeah, like the Roman Church, like Catholic Church, kind of like the only positive I saw was that it helped Europe from decaying into total shit show for eight to nine hundred years, like full on total war between tribes. Right. A little bit, um, but it was empire. It was like the extension of the Roman empire and the continuation until we get to like England and like global domination there. And well, I guess Portugal and then to the United States, you know, it could have been, it could have easily been the Nazi Germany, but somehow thankfully we won. Right. And now we're doing the empire games. Like we're kind of like perpetuating this culture and empire thing. And I think universities often like these big, very influential universities are part of that kind of uh, like cultural inertia that mm-hmm. you know they are a, a big force in anchoring culture um, to where we are and moving slowly. Like you know Tim Leary and Albert, they were kind of like bucking tradition a little bit too much for these old old fogies that were on Harvard at the time, um, and you know culture wants to move slow. And these institutions are there to, like, you know, slow us down from getting perhaps a little too radical at times. Um, yeah. But it's also part of this empire thing. Like, without Harvard and Yale and, and Stanford and all these other big U.S. schools, like, would the U.S. have this kind of, like, empire and soft power that we have? Like, like I, I don't know of an equivalent school in China that's got such world renown or right. or Russia, for that matter, you know? Like, they might... No, they do, but you're right. And I think though, to touch on that point, you know, my thought on that is yes, of course we shouldn't be, you know, I think America has been at war 98% of its history (laughs) or something. Something it's like a ridiculous stat. Um, 
However, if we don't do it, somebody will. And do we want to really be at the hands of whoever that other person is, wherever else it is in the world? Um, and I'm not saying what we're doing is just, it just seems like that's human nature, you know, cognitive bias, confirmation bias, um, ego. Those I like are, to just think of it as empire. Like, right. But, the, but know, the, those Russia's are real doing things. the empire thing. China's doing it too. Like, and if we're not doing it, those guys are going to get way more aggressive than Ex- we are. Right exactly. Now. I, exactly. And I'm not even saying again, terrifying. That, that we can't come to some sort of solution that, um, maybe, you know, nullifies more things or creates less wars around the world. I think that that's definitely possible, but I think it's human nature that if you have, were raised with a certain, you mentioned, you know, uh, Catholic church. I mean, I was raised in the Catholic church. I went to Catholic schools, so I have, I'm not, I don't, I don't go to church anymore and I don't believe those things. I'm still a spiritual person. And I think that the church gave me a kind of like a moral compass, if you will. And I think that's, if it's installed properly, as long as you're not being negative towards anybody else and you're using it for like, be kind to others and give and help other people out when you can. And you know, those kinds of values, I think it's can be a good thing, but then you're right. There is this like, Oh, you better not do this because God will get you or you don't do that. Or (laughs) I, I think that's, that's where it starts to go wrong. And then also needed a priest as some sort of conduit to a creator that may or may not even exist. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's where it goes wrong. I think it is some sort of, um, societal control. And I don't mean that in like a conspiratorial way necessarily. I just think that I've been reading a lot about like ancient Greece and pre-Socratic philosophy, uh, then, you know, Socratic philosophy and Plato and Aristotle and stuff. And what it seems to me in the way the mind works and Descartes and all that kind of stuff is that everything's just keeps on building on top of each other. So if there's a couple missteps taken, that's going to play out later on at some point, you know, and I think that's where we are today is we're just feeling some of the missteps of the last 50 years or whatever the case, 60, 70 years. Um, and now we're realizing, okay, uh, what once was considered taboo. Well, why was it considered taboo? Well, I'm sure there was lobbying and different things. You know, obviously there's the old story about marijuana and William Randolph Hearst and, um, you know, the psychedelic research that was going on in the 60s and the 70s. Um, obviously, the government was interested in that as well. Uh, do you think, though, that when we get a little bit further down the line with this, that we are going to see um, some serious benefits to society? Or do you think it's still going to be the same thing? This is just another tool for the toolbox if, you know, you need it. So the biggest wins, like mental health is kind of obvious, but the biggest win I think is going to be creativity. So right now we have a problem, like a num- many, many, many problems on the world stage, right? Mm-hmm. Everything from like finite resources to this idea of infinite growth on a small planet to perhaps climate change, but also, you know, just killing ecosystems. Like bar none, we're losing more species now than we ever have in human history. And it's because of us for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, we don't have to talk about climate change to care care about the environment. You know, look at, you know, you guys grew up near Detroit. So you understand this whole pollution angle quite a bit. Like it doesn't like 
to worry about. What are you saying, OG bro? Diesel fuel. Are you, are you saying Detroit's polluted, dog? Is that what's going on? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah, there's there's some sort of you know we we I'm sure there'll be some effects later on down the line you know that that we'll see. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the automotive like industry is shitty air. Yeah, right? like direct well, impact on lungs. But I'm not saying Detroit has bad air now. I'm talking about like in the 70s when yeah, yeah, yeah. before no, diesel no. fuel was reformed. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But then you have to look at the rest of Michigan too. And once you get outside that specific industrial area, it's all trees. I mean, some of the areas in Michigan surrounding Detroit have some of the most trees I've seen in any suburbs of. Any, I love I yeah. love Michigan. Yeah. Like I've spent time in Royal Oak and Gross Point and Detroit. And I, I love the whole area. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. But, but I'm saying like, Anywhere where there's a lot of pollution, people are going to be impacted. Animals, biodiversity is going to be impacted. We're losing the rainforest at an unprecedented rate, and there's potentially thousands of um, novel chemicals there that could help us long term. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. saying, you know, we've got this crisis. Creativity is a big thing that psychedelics could help us with as a culture. Right. Um, the things I like to say. Already seeing is, that with the microdosing. Ish, yeah. So like I've got some issues around the microdosing topic. I was gonna say I I don't I've tried it with psilocybin in the past. It doesn't, and I have I don't know if you know if you've seen other episodes. I have severe OCD, or I did. It's it's controlled now, but in the past it's been as about as bad as anybody you could think of or seen on TV. So um, yeah, microdosing might be more appropriate. It it is for what i had at least it would it would it would act as like a reset you know it would give you that ability to you know the feeling after you come down from like an intense psilocybin experience and you just want to take on the world oh i got to do this i got to do this you could try and get your life in order there's a meme going around that somebody's like just came off of a mushroom trip and the guy's like uh lawn mooring his his uh roof you know he's like i got to get some stuff done so it's like that feeling that i got to I got to do something. I got to take action, you know? So, but when you do that, that when's for somebody that has mental illness like me, and I'm not afraid to talk about it, depression, OCD and stuff is that it does reset your mind and it's only temporary. It doesn't last a long time. But when you try the, the, the micro dosing thing, I'm not saying it doesn't work. It just didn't work for me. And when I look at it, um, from looking back on it, I should say, it it's not that it was bad or it didn't work as much as it just didn't have the same effect as the macro dosing. So I think you're right. right. I think, you it's know, very it, different. It, it is, it, but I, I, it's not this mirror. When people say micro dosing, I, I don't think it's this miracle thing. I think if you're an artistic person and you're micro dosing um, LSD or psilocybin, I think it can have benefits you know i think if you're a writer or a musician or an artist or whatever i think it can be worked into that but if you're using it as some sort of medicine i don't think it it works as as effectively at least for me and other people that i've talked to so right so like microdosing i think has a lot of great applications um i don't want to it's not panacea like everybody wants you to think it is it's it's its own thing um that said, like macrodosing for creative problem solving is huge. Like there was a bunch of research done at the Stanford art. What's it called? Sale, some sort of Stanford lab where they were studying creativity mm-hmm. quite a bit. And they they showed that people working on very difficult problems were able to solve them very quickly. Like say you were working on a problem for six to nine months and couldn't solve it. You did a macrodose in the appropriate setting. 
you could then solve these things really Think quickly outside the Some, box. Yeah, very outside the box. And um, <laughs> that's where I think people could really make huge changes in the world. Like imagine, so say for example, um, you had this setup where you got like four engineers on a very particular topic together for like a week long kind of creativity retreat. Um, and you were able to, you know, have them focus on their, their thing. Say it was a solar person, a wind power person, you know, maybe a nuclear energy person. And then, you know, all these various problems need to be solved. Um, and then they could come together for a week and work out a lot of stuff and make a ton of progress on these fields, publish papers, you know, perhaps make products that really solve a lot of problems and move us a little bit outside of our kind of danger zone that we're in currently. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So like, yeah, you know, obviously coal is a bad thing to be burning. We shouldn't really do that. We should probably have less cars burning fossil fuels. Um, we should probably have less cars in general, but you know, how do we solve all these things? And these type of scenarios and psychedelics used in this way, very intentionally, I think could have the biggest impact on the planet and save us from ecological catastrophe. No, absolutely. I think, um, Good points. I think the insights and the introspection that you go through, if you're already in that mindset, and when I say that I see, you know, when I promote our podcast or I'm on different forums and different, see the way that people interact, there's still this, like, I'm right. You're wrong. No matter how many times they've tripped, there's this ego thing that still <laughs> happens. So when people say dissolving the ego, man, I don't believe in that. Cause I don't think full of baloney. It is full of baloney. <laughs> and actually I don't think that dissolving your ego, it might in, 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 when you have an experience and you're, you're shredded down to your base, that's one thing. But then when you come out of it to say that you dissolved your ego and now you're fixed or now you're a better person, I think is baloney and that's not how the mind works either what right. i think there's no end point right and w what i think is is the ego can be a good thing too it's what what do you feed your ego is the real question i meditate a lot and i i try and put myself in other people's shoes in meditation and look at myself how was i talking to that person how was i interacting with that person and from there that's where the real work gets done it's not um, during the trip and this crazy metaphysical experience um, of your losing oneself, it's um, how do you come out of it as a better person and what are some of the tools that you can take away from that experience and, and help integrate into your daily life? That's what I look at. So when I see people online, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, man, or uh, that you're crazy, you know, to believe that or you know, and, and then you have lots of people talking shit too. I can't even tell you how many negative comments we've gotten on certain things. It's like, okay, I get your point, but there's just no reason to say that, especially somebody that's, um, and I'm not talking about like a differing in opinion. I, I appreciate critique and, and um, you know, uh, people being critical of certain things as long as it's um, productive, but you get a lot of people. I mean, I know it's the internet, but still uh, you just, you expect more <laughs> from the psychedelic community sometimes. Right. Yeah, people yeah don't. if you don't know who those people are, they might even they might not take in that stuff. They don't know what's going on. Maybe they're just trolling. Could be. So, yeah, we did an episode a while ago called um, "Contexts of Use," and it breaks down like why people are using stuff in different ways, the different ways in which people are using psychedelics, and I think that's a really helpful thing to listen to. Contexts of mm -hmm. use. Um, and it talks about, you know, therapeutic 
ceremonial kind of like perhaps recreational celebratory use like at a fish show like we were talking about before <laughs> um you know like there's so many different contexts of use like creativity um could be microdosing you know there's there's in microdosing for different reasons too right like some people are like i want to do spreadsheets better <laughs> or like i want to feel better on the day to day and right. maybe that's why they're microdosing like Adderall doesn't do it for you so you're going to take you know a tenth of a gram of mushrooms right instead um you know there's probably some implications from that but <laughs> yeah so there's that's that's something to check out and you know people get a little hung up on this idea of ego death and ego dissolution like yeah it's a thing that happens but you know you're probably blowing it out of the water a little bit like perhaps you're putting too much importance on it um right. it happens and you experience it and you feel what it's like to die maybe but you know what does that really mean like okay you had that experience it doesn't make you special i think Anybody that can be helpful in certain ways like if you have a fear of death everybody does to some extent but if let's say that's part of your depression or part of your anxiety disorder or whatever i think that's right. that's where it becomes helpful and in that case i think that does give some people um, insight on, Hey, maybe there is more to life, or maybe this gives me hope that, um, you know, there's more going on here than we can ever understand. Cause I think that's what's going on. You know, nobody wants to think about death and it's not really something that's talked about at an early age for most, you know, people in at least Americans, you know, like that's not something, uh -huh. something that we, kind of step away from and, and um, it's something that if we I think if it's talked about more at an early age I think it would be more accepted whether something happens after this or not is a different story but just the stigma behind it um, I think creates a lot of anxiety for a lot of people because it's like oh this is all there is I have to wake up every day from nine to five go to some job I hate and come home and have a few hours to hang out and then it's rinse and repeat you know so I think that that's kind of uh, depressing if you think about it um, from a day-to-day -day consciousness standpoint so anytime you can get outside of that I think is a big win for people that have those issues do you think um, so at, well, before we had the technical guilt difficulties we were talking about I had mentioned I had never tried ketamine and I had never tried DMT still and people st send me messages you got to try this you you know you you don't know you, you keep, you're doing episodes about it and you've never done it and I get their point but I find it interesting cuz I have done psychedelics and it's not like I haven't been down the rabbit hole um if if you will I know yeah. DMT is a different animal right. from what I understand um and uh at some time at some point if somebody offers it to me in the right setting i'm not opposed to it at all and i'm not even opposed i'm just not going to go out there looking for it or i'm not going to uh extract it myself or you know whatever but you were mentioning the same thing i just wanted your take on that too because it seems like when you do something like a psychedelic podcast if you haven't tried everything there's going to be some guy that's like oh you don't know what you're talking about you haven't done this or you haven't done that so have you experienced that at all yeah for sure so i've I've smoked DMT. I've never done ketamine. I've never blasted off on DMT. Um, there's a drug right now that's getting really popular, 5-MeO-DMT. You talked mm -hmm. about it earlier with Tom Lane. I am interested in 5-MeO-DMT quite a bit, but there's so much ugly cult and shithead behavior going on in the 5-MeO-DMT space that I don't even want to touch it. Mm. So you look at like um, these cult leaders going around just grabbing cash from people and 
um, being assholes. Like, have you seen some of the videos of like negative five MEO DMT facilitation? Yeah, like people drowning basically, or be, water being forced. You know down that guy's the, name? I, I I refuse to even acknowledge it. Tom Lane posted something about that whole thing on his because he's all about the entheogens and the, the the sacred sacraments of it, and you know the whole ritual behind it, and that's kind of like sacrilegious in a certain way but then there's like all these new young psychedelic people that think that oh well we're doing it our own way now or we have our own take on these ancient rituals or whatever so i'm not i don't give those people the time of day because i don't think they deserve it i think it's good to make people aware that these things are happening but at the same time i don't invest in people that i consider to be non-productive in terms of futuring you know, education or knowledge and that kind of stuff. So there's a Facebook group, Beware of the Bufo Gangsters, B-U-F-O. Okay. And that's a place you can go learn about this negative stuff if you need to. Okay. Um, and it names the people, it gets into it. And there's a website, 5-M-E-O-D-M-T-Malpractice.org that's really helpful as well. Um, so I, the way you phrased that was interesting. I, I think there are valid applications of neo-shamanic practice. Um, as long as they're, you know, designed skillfully and not a cult and, you know, giving people some freedom. I think there's some stuff there. Um, that said, there's, it's easy to make a cult. It's easy to brainwash people. It's almost a formula at this right. point in history. And so you got to be a little careful. Um, but yeah, just because of all that BS, like I'm not really into 5-MeO-DMT and a few other drugs like, you know, combo where you like, burn your skin and inject a poison into the burn mark yeah isn't that that uh, that that rainforest it's like a rainforest tree frog poison right or something along that line um people love it yeah it's something like that so but i'm sure they do i'm sure they do and it wasn't very cool so i'm probably not in on that either um and Um, tom actually talked about the five m his perspective uh we did an episode with him on specifically that for our patreon um he was talking about how, I mean, and and actually Hamilton Morris from Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia did an episode on it too, where we haven't really known about it until like the 80s when that guy Al Most uh, came out with that manual talking about, you know, the toad venom. Which I think he might have been lying. Yeah, too. but he said that he like came, it might not even be him. Yeah, he came up with this idea that he squeezed a gland or touched a toad or something and then touched a cigarette and then lit the cigarette and he blasted off. Um, right. I don't know. Right. Like he was, wow. he was going through like, let me try every plant and animal in right. my area. Right. Like that, that's pretty intense. He was on a hunt. So yeah, to do everything. But Tom talks about how we've only known about it for that long. It could have been used, but there's no record of it. Like there is in the mushroom codex or codices. Right. From People Mesoamerica. are lying about the history. There, right. There's no real actual. There history are toads. Of- he mentions in some sacred texts, but the toads yeah. are supposed to represent like, like, um, rebirth, uh, rebirth like and like, life. like, yeah. And, and exactly. And like, you know, bringing on the rain or something, you know, something like fertile, you know, being fertile, something along those lines. So, but he also talks about how, since there's no shamanic practice or rituals associated with it, it's kind of like the wild west with it. Like what you mentioned, there's, some people doing crazy things with it. There's other people doing other crazy things. Um, from what I've never, again, I've never done DMT from what I understand. People are dying, too. 
too. There's from what people that have been killed. From what I understand is that it's more of a white light near death type experience than it is, um, you know, what people would consider. I like to say total opposite of normal DMT. Like really, okay. really intense visuals coming on, like you're in a totally different immersive space, and it's still like you having an identity of you Got going you. through all this for the most part. And the other one is like dissolving your identity into the whole universe and you identify as the universe and God and you are God and right. the interconnection. And, you know, there, there's like this formula zero equals one. <laughs> right. And all of a sudden you understand what zero equals one means. <laughs> um, if that I, makes any sense. I, it, it does. <laughs> hey. But I, I, I just think that we just need to be careful with all this stuff because it is the wild west. I mean, even look at vape carts. You know, I know that there were black market ones, and um, there wasn't a whole lot of you know paying attention going on. I guess you will to that industry or that you know regulation, that kind of stuff. Yeah, if you get it from a dispensary, you're probably okay. But even some of the dispensaries were having secondary locations where some of their more bunk stuff or maybe questionable stuff was being put into those things. You know, there's a few examples of that so um you know you just have to be careful like anything else you know you're taking a risk anytime you do something obviously cannabis and cannabis oil um it's more of it's that itself is not harmful but it's the stuff they mix what is it vitamin e acetate that they've isolated to be one of the main culture so when you look at all these things i think you just have to be careful and i think that's just the message for this whole you know whether it's the 5meo or things research chemicals whatever it may be you just have to be careful i think that you know anytime you do that kind of stuff you're you're anything that's a poison or a venom you know you gotta be careful well yeah well you gotta be careful anyway like the only way to be really safe is to never do any drugs ever <laughs> that's the safest you right. can do the next safest that's my thing mom's is approach ton and ton <laughs> a ton of research right and you know have a test kit Test your drugs for fentanyl as well. It's a two dollar test per time, right? And then you can know you're not going to OD on fentanyl accidentally. Um, like, I actually just did a talk to a bunch of students last night at FSU in Tallahassee, and first thing I said was, "I'm you guys are college students in Florida. I'm sure you've seen cocaine. How many times have you seen people actually test for the presence of fentanyl? Especially oh, yeah. if somebody says, "Here's some cocaine," are you going to say no, or are you going to say, "Oh, sure thing." Like there's, unless you test it for fentanyl, you don't know if you're going to have an OD or not on fentanyl. And right. you really should. The line is if you can afford to ingest, you can afford to test. Yeah. Um, yeah. So test your drugs. No joke. Yeah. I, it's just crazy, you know, and who knows? I mean, we know why that that happens, but who really knows what's in, you know, their stuff until you're right. Like you test it. It's just, when I think about it, when we were younger, that wasn't even a thought. It was, man, those were the days because it was either. Oh, cool. Is this drugs? It was, right. yeah, it was either fake. Like we were talking about fish and I've been to fish shows where most of the times it's a great experience and whatever I've gotten or been shared with from other people has been amazing, had amazing times. Um, but then once in a while you will get, some bunk stuff and it would have just been fake, you know, like whether it be um, maybe mushrooms that didn't really look what you're used to. And there are so many different species of um, psychedelic mushrooms out there. It's hard to tell what's what sometimes, but usually Cubensis and uh, some are, you know, really 
easy to identify. And then there's others where somebody's say, Hey, check this out. Have you ever had these before? You know, so you always are going to have your, your people, you know, trying to pull one over. But for the most part, it was cool back in the day. And then slowly, this is like a new thing. I don't know, five, 10 years ago, people dying from, you know, accidental overdoses and people, things being mixed in drugs that you wouldn't even expect to be mixed, mixed in with. Cause some of those drugs have were, have you heard about two, five, I N bomb. No. what's that so that is a uh a drug that feels very similar to acid um and is sold as acid it's a lot cheaper and people die from it regularly um some people even given the risk still choose to use it over lsd um so even lsd that you buy somewhere might not be lsd and these test kits from a place like dancesafe.org a great nonprofit. um help you tell the difference and <sighs> help eliminate that risk yeah it's just it's it's weird Crazy. like we grew up i mean how old are you i uh tomorrow what what did you say i'm sorry 37 tomorrow oh wow happy birthday oh, happy, hey, happy birthday happy early so you're just a couple years uh older than us and i mean I'm, I'm sure you're in the same boat like i said it just seemed like back when we were younger in high school and even college these things weren't even really thought about. And I'm sure things did happen from time to time, but it wasn't something that was forefront like it is now. Maybe that's because these things are more prevalent and there's more people that are not aware of these things. You know, like we used, like I mentioned before, we would go on Irwids. Before we tried anything when we were younger, we went on Irwids, we read all of the trip reports and accounts, and we read dosage because Irwids is pretty good about showing how much dosage, what's the threshold, you know, what would be considered too much, you know, even the one time I guess would have been close to being a disaster was in college. Somebody had given me an extract of DXM and we took way too much than what it said on the thing. <laughs> and it was like robo trip central to the point where I felt like I was in hyperspace at times, but I was completely stationary. It was the weirdest. Um, Did you like it? No, for the one I've not it, had it, that stuff it, yet. It, it upset my stomach really bad um, to the point where it's like, do I want to be taking a shit every hour? You know what I'm saying? It's just that makes things not, not the fun. Not, not fun. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just something that you don't want to think about during that experience. But whatever, I mean, it happens, and there's a lot of people that do. I hope there might be some applications for DXM in psychedelic psychotherapy. By the way, I I don't know yeah. that there's been any research, but some people in the know have commented about it to me. Right. I'm sure all kinds of stuff will start popping up. We don't know what, because we've been so afraid of all these drugs that we just haven't really been doing any testing. Look at all the stuff that's coming out with the marijuana. It's crazy. And no data on salvia. Like salvia could be an amazing therapeutic tool and it's legal in so many states. And we don't that's know. The, that's the problem. Well, it, 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 we don't know. That's the thing. Well, it could cure cancer. We don't know. When we were in high school, they had the salvia extract, like 25, 32 extract. You'd buy it at pipe stores, and they looked like these little greasy wood chips. Um, right. And it was sold as incense or something along those lines, I think, back in the day. But I remember smoking it and just repeating the same thing and going down this, like, loophole um, of, like, repeat and, like, constant amount of frames and stuff like that so i think that um that's one that i if if you if i had to do it like let's say somebody said you have to try this again i would do it like how what's his uh not to mention him again but he 
does such great stuff. Hamilton. This uh, guy gets plugs right. up and down. Yeah, well, I mean, he yeah. does. He's 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 a great advocate. Genius. For, yeah. yeah, exactly. And he's all about the chemical aspect of it, but he also t- partakes in the sacramental um, aspects of it as well. But the You're one talking he, the oral because he yeah, the leaves. It, it, he she that's she, the way to do it. She juiced the leaves the first time, nothing happened. But then when you masticate it in your you know you're, you're chewing it around in your mouth and you're you're sucking on the leaves, I think it's something with the receptors in your mouth probably you know has something so to do. So you can with use that. the extract. The trick the trick is you like get in your mouth like this and like oh so like chew off. or something like that. Yeah. So you can use the extract that way. Um, there's a number of people um, developing kind of an oral paste that you mm. kind of just like leave, leave down in your mouth and your gum line for right. an hour. And the session will be about an hour to an hour and a half as opposed to like five minutes or something. Right. And, and that way you can actually do real therapeutic work as opposed to like, you know, yeah, we blasted it off and it was interesting. Yeah, you know? smoking it though is only like a two minute thing and it was like super something felt like forever but it was like two minutes it was a really weird dichotomy i mean i know that's how people explain smoking dmt sometimes but at the same time there was this i had never felt this like repeat thing that there was just this lingering effect of you know these friends you know like how you see my background there on the screen it was almost something not as visually as appealing as that, but just like life turned into frames like that where it just kept stepping down kind of a thing, you know, picture and picture and picture and picture and picture. Um, But so what is your favorite psychedelic in terms of something that's helped you or you think has the most medicinal positive effect, uh, you know, within research or whatever? So I'll rank them personally. Like holotropic breath work, number one, not a drug, but it's been the thing that's helped me the most. Ayahuasca, number two. I've only had it once, but it was tremendously helpful for me. Okay. And um, that's the extent of my like kind of deep dive <laughs> um, of like therapeutic applications. I love MDMA, LSD, and 2CB right now. Love cannabis. Um, 2CB is extraordinary if you ever get the chance. Uh, it's a really interesting compound. It's, it sits, it's a phenethylamine. Um, Based on this conversation, I, I might have already tried it at some point. I, who knows? Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Like uh, that thing earlier, I was like, ah, that could have been too Oh, at the, that but story I was talking kind about. Expensive. The, the fish show. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, again, jellyfish. You know, that there's that string cheese song about jellyfish floating in your head. That actually was, ha- that might be what they're talking about. I, I don't know, but that was, that was actually happening to me and it happened for hours at, at that time. So, um, but, uh, yeah, no, that's for me, it's always been, um, cannabis and psilocybin. I just think that there's, I love, I, I, there's something I connect with on psilocybin and I've done some really high doses. I've done, up to 10 grams dry before, which is pretty, oh, hell yeah. pretty, nice. pretty intense. <laughs> hey. uh, when I was younger, I used to blast off, you know, before it was even like a thing, like I said before. I mean, I'm sure people have been doing it forever, but back then it was like, oh, you take a little bit and whatever, but I wanted to kind of push the boundaries um, of where the mind could go, and uh, it's interesting. Mind escape. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. But um, So those have been the two for me. What, what about you, Maurice? What are your your faves? I'm not too big of a psychedelic fan. I like the uh, MDMA once a year at, at maybe, you know. Um, oh, once a year. I, I like the cannabis. Good for you. That's, 
Yeah, that's, yeah, we that's don't, the extent. I, I'm not a big mushy man. Uh, even or, even I took to acid this day, once and it scared the hell out of me. Yeah, even to this day, Maurice still has never been big big psychedelic guy. He's done psychedelics, but just not. For me, I did a lot when I was younger, and when I got older, I still did it from time to time. But it was never something that I've done on a regular basis, like maybe a few times a year, a couple times a year. It's something I treat as like a treat, like. If I need it psychologically, if I need a reset, okay, we'll figure something out. But for the most part, it's always been like, I'm going to get some creative stuff done. I want to come up with some concepts, some ideas, whether it would have been for music or um, creative ideas for this podcast, stuff like that. Um, but now it's like, I don't even really, I don't need it. If if it comes about, I'll, I'll do it. But again, it's not something that I'm out there searching for, or scouring for, or producing my own or anything like that that's the, that's way out of the realm of what, what i'm about like shows are you doing a lot of live music at all or, or just so kind of like only... i've played some live shows on psychedelics before which was actually pretty fun um we played a show at actually at our high school graduation one of our friends party and i ended up kicking my cable out of my wawa pedal because i thought it was a snake so i've had some pretty intense pretty intense experiences fun for you but not for the audience yeah 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 but in recent years you know we played around with them but i the older i got the more i wanted to put on a good show not that you can't play a good show and that stuff but it's just like you feel like take it more seriously take it more seriously and that's how i've kind of looked at life for for the most part the older i get it's not that i'm taking it seriously because we laugh all the time we joke you know maurice has got a side project comedy channel that i help with and i love all the stuff that he does on their fat earth comedy shout out boom um but at the same time like i said it's just i'm getting older meditation cannabis you know those work for me in terms of you know I'd be open if somebody said, hey, we can get rid of your OCD tomorrow if you do ketamine three times or whatever like that. I would be open to that. I know there's that ketamine nose spray that they came out with. So I'm not opposed to any one thing or the other. It's just I've had so many experiences and I have an amazing memory, too. I know memories are flawed, but because of OCD, I have this crazy ability to read a book and remember the whole thing. And I've had authors on where I'll talk about things that they don't even remember in their own book. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, so um <laughs> but it's gonna it's, happen yeah it's it's one of those things where i don't know i mean i'm do you feel that way now that you're getting a, a little bit older or is that not how you feel at all you're talking mm. to me no i'm talking to joe i know how you feel <laughs> motherfucker <laughs> um so like i don't know like hey, it's not a matter of need for me it's a matter of like culture right like i'm I I personally identify as being a soldier in the drug war. Like I'm fighting the drug war from the other side. Um, the other people have better arms, but I'm still trying to fight. But um, you know, I I identify as somebody inside drug culture and psychedelic culture. So as a result, like psychedelics are always around. You know, if you want to use them, cool. If you don't want to use them, that's also cool. Um, and I know like, it's a loaded question because of what you do in your organization. I just meant in terms of, I don't think me personally, this is just my opinion. I don't think they are the end all be all of 
getting to that place that we all want to get to, which is some form of oh, enlightenment. Right. Like, you know, or there's so many ways. Right. And, and, and I just think that in this phase that I'm in, whether it lasts or maybe I'll go through another little patch of experimentation. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. But right now my outlook on it is all the reading I'm doing, studying about the mind and um, how we've gotten here from the way that the consciousness has evolved through ancient civilizations to where we are now. I just feel like I am going through my own personal evolution as well, where some of these substances is where they are beneficial. And like you said, I'm right there with you. That's why we talk about this stuff, because I don't think it should be taboo. And I don't think that um, people should look at it the way that they've looked at it for the last 50, 60 years. I think it should be integrated with medicine. And I think that whether you're taking... um, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals and you need them or you're taking or you're going to CBT therapy or you're going to see a psychologist or you're going to see a psychiatrist. I think it's important that all options are on the table. You know, I, right. So, Here's the thing we talk about a lot is like people get shamed for having to take psychiatric medication. Right. Don't do that. Like some people some really people need, need psychiatric it. medication. Yeah. Bad. Especially people that have schizophrenia, and, people that have um, serious yeah. anxiety and panic disorders. There are medicines yeah. that help those people. I've, yeah. you know, I said Sometimes the same thing. CBT is amazing. Like okay. psychedelic people want to shit on CBT all the time. CBT is really helpful and really important. And these things need to be contextualized appropriately and, and used skillfully. Like there's, there's so many things like I, I would you can't clean a whole house with a swifter mm-hmm. you need to use a lot of tools like you can't build a whole house with a hammer exactly maybe you could but perfect pretty perfect. weird when only <laughs> when the only tool you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail yeah man i've been through a Get lot of this guy off the radio <laughs> i've been through a lot of surgeries and that's it like every every disease looks like a surgery yeah <laughs> to a lot of these surgeons it's like oh Nope, got to cut. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I don't need you to cut on me, please. But, I, I, you know, I just, I like where this is all going. I really do. I think that, um, I think it's, like I said, I mentioned before, it's similar to the progress that cannabis has made in terms of public perception and legalization. And I think that you are seeing that with psychedelics because you've seen, um, benefits to the marijuana and from a government standpoint and a political standpoint it's bringing them revenue and money and it's almost like this new source of income for taxes and in different things I know that they're still finding ways to work with banks and stuff like that but they you got to get it where you can get it and if that's going to be their draw from it whatever as long as these things are being accessible to people that need them. And as long as people aren't going to jail for small quantities of entheogens or whatever the case may be, um, I think that that's the, the step in the right direction. Um, but can we, can we talk really quickly about that entheogen word? Yeah. 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 Um, or so the first word was, not even psychedelic. There was a word before psychedelic that was really common. They called them all ant- uh, psychotomimetics. Okay. And eventually psychedelic came around. Aldous Huxley and Humphrey Osmond in this whole like correspondence of letters came up with that term. And then downstream, I forget who it was, somebody kind of famous came up with this other word, entheogen, because psychedelic was out of favor. Um, mm-hmm. The 60s happened. 
people didn't want to hear that word, so they made the word entheogen happen, and it mean meant everything. It did. It never like there wasn't really ever like a, a split between like LSD and mushrooms or like LSD and ayahuasca. Like everything in this term was an entheogen, hmm. um, meaning manifesting the god within. Right. There's no reason LSD can't do that. There's no reason um, synthetic mescaline can't do that or synthetic psilocybin. You know, even if it's not from a plant, it could still do the same thing. People will have a pretty strong reaction to me saying that, but I disagree with them wholeheartedly and I'm happy to argue with them on that point. Well, um, the, if you, and I've told you I've been doing research, I, we have a movie I'm working on about ancient psychedelic use. Um, yeah. And if you look at the Rig Veda and if you look at Soma, Soma and Homa from, you know, the Iranian um, migrations. Yeah the use is actually just associated with divinity and there's speculation. Some people think it was cannabis, poppy and ephedra mixed together. Some people think it was, um, you know, some form of, uh, uh, DMT containing grass mixed with like cush grass mixed with, uh, um, somebody had asked us to talk about a couple minutes ago, um, Syrian rue. Um, so, you know, obviously it's an MAOI inhibitor found throughout the Middle East and those regions. Um, and it's, it was pretty common. So if you were to mix those um, with, let's say, you know, any version of acacia or any version of the cush grass, you know, some of those reed grasses, you know, you could have a serious psychedelic experience, you know. But when you look at that word entheogen that's in the Rig Veda, it just simply is connecting it to the divine. It doesn't, you don't, we don't know what it was. It could have been anything, you know, like you wouldn't relate ephedrine to entheogen, right? Or that wouldn't right. be considered because it's a stimulant. It's not really considered. But it could be a combination of factors. Exactly. Right? But, but my point is, is that you're right in the sense that I think it was originally used in connection with the divine, whether it doesn't matter what it is. It's just some sort of connection yeah, to the there's divine. There's a traditional use case of religious use. Right. Um, in the traditions for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like in the Greek Eleusinian mysteries for sure as well. Yeah. The, um, claviceps, uh, perpea or, uh, yeah. That's the, what the, uh, the hypothesis is. Yeah. yeah. There's no real data, right? That's kind of the problem. Like, yeah. What was that stuff called? Uh, Kikion or the kick, Kikion. Kikion, um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Never heard of yeah, that. Yeah, that, that's the, the wine that they would drink, and they weren't really allowed to talk about their experiences afterwards, so there's really not Better a Better kept secret than any Freemasonic tradition. Right. <laughs> like, we still don't know. We know everything about Freemasonry. Well, Freemasonry is um, <laughs> interesting, too. Um, somebody, oh, sure. Somebody had referenced a book called Alchemically Stoned uh, by this guy, P.D. Newman, you know, he's talking about, like, if you look at the... Uh, oh, you've got it right there. Yeah, I've, we tried to get him out on the podcast. It just the schedules weren't lining up. But um, yeah. he makes a lot of connections. You know, there's a lot of acacia um, imagery. You know, if you want to correlate that to psychedelics, cool. But they think that that's probably some aspect of it. Um, you know, but that whole region back then... I don't like the Amanita Muscaria stuff unless we're talking about Siberian shamanism only because it doesn't fit like where the three main religions, if you will, three Abrahamic religions came out of the Middle East. I've looked all over the Internet and done research. It's not it's, there's some mountains in Israel that may contain 
Amanita Muscaria, but it's not that common in that region. So for those religions to come out of there, um, and then I know you've had guests on your podcast that talk about, you know, European, you know, Catholic uh, stained glass pictures and reliefs and paintings and different things, and correlating those two things. And our Gordon Wasson wrote Soma, connecting it to Amanita Muscaria. But even how about we don't even have to say it's like psychedelic use. Like there, there has been many thousands of years of drug use. Yeah. Um, and knowledge of plants and their effects on humans, like witchcraft is just a repository of it. Right. And it's really like regional, very hyper regionalized. And they've got weird ones so, too, stuff you wouldn't even expect, like different plants yeah. and stuff that you'd be like, oh, sure. what's that? I was just listening to something the other day and they were talking about um, like mandrake, like, or something along the, I forget. Yeah. There's mandrake, henbane, there's yeah. like tons of them. Yeah, like weird, like Some I wouldn't even. It's dangerous. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Um, Dabbling in those dark arts, you know, I'm joking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, real. Like there's, it's no, it's no joke. There's like definitely some stuff out there that could have killed people. And, um, that's why probably it was so protected partially. Also, they would have been murdered by the church. Did you, did you see that article that came out a couple years ago that was talking about our early ancestors, the Denisovans when they were in the, uh, Nepalese region and like that Kush Hindu Kush region that they preserved uh, certain strains of cannabis. This is we're talking a couple hundred thousand years ago that they can correlate. It probably was, you know, dog shit cannabis compared to what it is today. But just the oh, fact yeah. that that it was even used. I still like to try it. No, yeah, I, I didn't see that. Yeah, I I, I got to find the article, but it was a it was an academic article. Um, the gentleman just just passed maybe a, a three four months ago and he was the person who pushed this thesis that drug use and like the the need to get high or want to get high is very natural and it's been mm-hmm. around for many 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 moons um so he he actually well, well life is brutal I, that's the bottom line <laughs> yeah we gotta like escape to it, you know? it once in a while yeah let's, exactly. let's just try it a little differently like it's not always about escape right it's about like how do we how do we engage more fully with life over time? Like it's okay to take breaks here and there, right. like, you know, recreate and whatever, but it's also, you know, how do we just live more full lives? And I think psychedelics and drugs can play an appropriate part in that. Absolutely. Um, so for the last little bit here, before we um, wrap it up, I do want to talk about more of the, mystical side of this stuff because we that's what we do on the show pretty much is let's look at the metaphysics let's look at you know let's speculate let's look at different fringe theories and stuff that's what that's what our favorite stuff is because it's the most romantic thing to talk about right like nobody wants to hear about oh the you know we like talking about that stuff too but the serotonin receptors and 5-HT2A and you know all that stuff I love that talk but I my favorite stuff is to talk about the metaphysical stuff and we've had some people on uh, Dick Kahn. He's the author, author of uh, DMT, My Cult Mind, Part 1, and now he just released Part 2. Uh, Aaron Voot, um, you know, Spirit in the Sky, which correlates, you know, the Osiris mythology with DMT. Um, we've had a lot of cool um, authors and guests on, the, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jack from the Trip Whip channel on uh, YouTube. Uh, talking about machine elves and and all these different theories. What is your take on all that? Because it kind of goes two ways. I've heard the argument, 
that the DMT machine elves or whatever you want to call them entities are manifestations of your subconscious or that's one of the theories that's the more rational <laughs> theory of the two and then the other theory is that maybe DMT breaks the pareidolia of your brain and you're able to see everything at once or you're able to see a spectrum of things that aren't normally there or you're in commune with something you know we've had andrew gallimore on our podcast too and his theory is that you're connecting with some other entities through from throughout the universe via quantum entanglement you know which you know so where's what's where do you uh land on that spectrum of all that oh man i could talk about this for ages um i've got to go in about 10 minutes just so you know okay um but the so I lean a little bit more towards the way Andrew Gallimore talks about it. Like I, I think there's a spectrum though. So you've got yourself, you know, you've got you, and then you know you've got your creativity, and then there's your imagination. And I think I think there's some sort of like edge, blurry edge at the edge of imagination that bleeds out into the transpersonal and and beyond. Um, in our tradition, um, the Dream Shadow breathwork tradition, like DreamShadow.org, where my or com is where my teachers teach. They work from this place of um, a philosopher called Alfred North Whitehead, who states that anything that's happened, you inherit. Like mm. you, anything that's happened in the history of the universe, like you, epigenetics. Not even. It's like no. um, so it shifts the. Like a built-in collective consciousness type thing? Almost, yeah. So, like, the atomic unit of building block of the universe is not atoms. It's drops of experience. And every drop of experience kind of, like, is inherited by where you are now. Hmm. So, like, you've inherited everything that's happened in the U.S. Civil War, you know, the Ho Chi Minh Trail, like, every, every tragedy, the Big Bang, like, that's all in you right now. And as a result, you know, with LSD or electric breathwork or whatever, you could experience any of those things. People have had spirit experiences, past life experiences. Just because you experience past life doesn't mean it was your past life. And, you know, you have to factor in the fact that you've projection is a real thing. Psychological projection is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Things from your life are going to play a part in um your experience like so even if you reliving the civil war battle with some pretty extraordinary detail you're also having to um realize that the way these traumas in your childhood could be kind of like shaping that experience as well so i don't like really doubt that spirits and entities exist outside you know the realms of earth but you know how do you test that how do you have some sort of validity um like, I like where Gad Andrew Gallimore is on this. I don't like the fact that he has to bring in quantum entanglement. Mm-hmm. Like, that that seems to me kludgy. Mm-hmm. Like, why do you have to, like, you know, raise this form of physics that barely anybody understands to make your argument? Like, that's a little... Mm. Did you read his book? His book was all yeah. about, like, yeah. information. Right. And like, we've, had, we've had other physicists. We've had Jude Curvin, who's also um, a cosmologist and physicist, talking about similar topics where normally um, when you talk about entropy, it's going from order to disorder or, you know, something along those lines. She flips it in her book, uh, the cosmic uh, or um, yes, yeah, the cosmic hologram. I got to look it up, but um, 
where it goes from disorder to order. And if you look at like our solar system and some of the work call that neg entropy. Yeah, exactly. And, and it seems more reliable that she, you know, she also talks about how certain systems do that, right? Like the, right. the idea is the universe is an entropic universe, but certain systems might be able to fight that. Right. But there's just this idea that information is all there is to a certain extent, you know, like all we are is these entities that are perceiving I think things. you have to get into philosophy more. I don't think physicists are the right people to right. like get into that. Well, I think, I think we need to, really we need a healthy philosophy. mix of both, you know, like we need well, more Thomas Kuhn. should inform you know? philosophy. Right. Like science should inform philosophy. Well, we've lost that, right? Not, well, to a degree. Yeah. Like I don't, there's a guy that you really should get on Peter Swarstead Hughes, who's, who did that interview on my show yeah. with Andrew Gallimore. Yep. Um, he's a top-notch philosopher of mind, very informed by psychedelics, and just amazing. I think they even made a Marvel character based on some of his books. So he's somebody to watch for. Um, I forget yeah, I've, offhand. I've talked to him a little bit on Twitter, I think, and I've watched his TED Talk, which was pretty good. He mentions the Eleusinian Mysteries and the evolution of philosophy, you know, with psychedelic yeah. use and stuff like that. I like he that. He can speak to this Alfred North Whitehead process philosophy a lot better than I can. Okay. But this is our orientation. Like the, what we experience is just that it's, it's experience mediated through sense organs, um, mind. We've never really established that mind comes from the brain. Consciousness isn't right. necessarily a brain based phenomenon could be that consciousness pervades everything and everything's conscious and a, our brain is just like the thing that helps us manifest yeah um mind in the world like, and like non-local consciousness and our brains some sort of receiver right. or um yeah or like uh what do they call that um, down with that the huxley word was like um sensory reduction valve yeah yeah no it's, that's like that, that dude yeah so I, your band name. I know you've got to go here. I actually, if you're down for it, we should do a part two because there's a lot of stuff we didn't even get to. I want to talk more about this metaphysical stuff because it's my favorite stuff to talk about. Like I said, it's usually pure speculation, but it's the more um, interesting aspect to me because I think that, and I mentioned this on the last episode we just did, without pushing the boundaries of what we consider the fringe, we're just going to be at this snail's pace crawl of of progression you know what i'm saying and i know we talked yeah. about that earlier is getting everybody on board and whatever but at the same time i think science is kind of at a standstill right now where we don't know there's no einstein walking through the door tomorrow coming up with some um, elevated theory on quantum physics or some sort of perception of where we go from here so i think psychedelics could be that Robert carhart harris yeah okay. he's the guy <laughs> yeah he, like in terms of neuroscience i think he's the guy he's running that new very well-funded research group in london at yeah imperial that's the imperial college. college yeah 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 and he he i think is going to like because he's got all this funding now gonna really make enormous shifts in what we understand about the mind and um i the problem with neuroscientists is they like jump the gun often so mm -hmm. it's gonna have to be mediated with some philosophers and it's you know, thankfully, Peter Swartz said huge is only a couple hundred miles away from London, so right. he can participate in that a little bit. Hey, hey I mean, I see a new article every day that they've cracked 
consciousness or the hard problem of consciousness and then you don't ever hear about it again so yes never never like i don't, <laughs> I don't think we're gonna get there for we're long done time. um <laughs> so, so let's wrap it up on the note i know you gotta go thanks for coming on check out his website um what's your website is it phil uh, uh psychedelics today.com free okay. classes at psychedelic education center.com and yeah check out to subscribe to their youtube channel they do great stuff um you know Anybody that's watching this that likes psychedelics that's on our page, make sure you subscribe to their channel. Um, we got to get their subscribers up. Not that I'm sure you guys get way more listens than we do on the, the podcast side of things, but your YouTube channel should be kicking We are it. weak on YouTube. We should probably up our game there. No, it's not even upping well, your game. It's, it's unless YouTube's... you're eating food and slurping your fingers. I don't know. <laughs> ASMR or psychedelic style. But uh, no, but <laughs> seriously, anybody that, that likes what we do, I like what they do. So in, their, in return, you will like what they do so uh check them out and also check us out on patreon.com slash mike and maurice and let's do a part two i don't know next couple weeks maybe we can get you back on and and talk about this stuff yeah keep me posted happy to come on again all right joe well thanks for coming on and uh we'll talk to you later all right cheers